If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I am Randy Andrews, and welcome to a special episode. Today, I'll be discussing the new Andrew Allen Trio album called Jazz NES, and I'll be discussing 10 video game themes from the classic Nintendo Entertainment System, and then I'll play a song to coincide with each. So without further ado, let's get this game started on Soundtrack Alley. Reviewing the Andrew Allen Trio album today, it's comprised of 30 different game themes from the original Nintendo Entertainment System. Today, I'll go over some of the background on these 10 games, and I hope you can all enjoy this special episode of Soundtrack Alley. The first game I'm going to discuss is Castlevania. It's also known as Akumojo Dracula in Japan. And it was a series of dark fantasy-themed action-adventure video games created and developed by Konami. And it centered on the Belmont family, a clan of vampire hunters and their fight against Dracula. The first console title of Castlevania, it was released in 1986 and was the typical platform game in which a player takes the role as Simon Belmont, a descendant of the Belmont clan a family of vampire hunters. He travels to Dracula's demonic castle, Castlevania, and fights his way through the castle, destroying Dracula himself and the castle. Belmont's main weapon is a whip called Vampire Killer, while the secondary weapons are powered by hearts, collected by attacking candles and killing monsters. The secondary weapons available are daggers, holy water, a flying axe, stopwatches, and a boomerang. There's even hidden items in the game to where you get power-ups and food replenishments, and it can be found by attacking walls within levels, and it was 
radically inspired by Super Mario Brothers with countless hidden items across the game's levels. The earliest games borrowed from source materials from motifs of icon iconic horror cinema such as monsters from the Universal Horror and Hammer era of films such as werewolves, Frankenstein's monster, the mummy, the Grim Reaper, and even Count Dracula himself. Most of the Castlevania video game franchise has been about the vampire hunting family, and almost every hundred years the Dracula is resurrected and generally the Belmonts must defeat him. Though most games in the series involve the Belmonts or their descendants, some protagonists such as Soma Cruz, Bram Stoker's novel Dracula. The novel is included in the official timeline of the series, with Castlevania Bloodlines taking place shortly afterwards. The connection even goes so far as to claim that Quincy Morris, a character from the novel, is in fact a distant Belmont descendant. So we've heard so much about the actual plot of the game. Now, let's get into the actual music because with the Andrew Allen Trio, they take the classic theme and turn it into jazz. So let's hear that now.
The next Castlevania theme is for Castlevania 2. The gameplay departs from the standard platforming genre, and it's very similar to the non-linear gameplay of Metroid, giving you a world map where the player is free to explore and revisit. And so Simon can talk with townspeople who will offer him clues or even lies about certain things. He can go to merchants who sell items, either for fighting enemies or for transversing unreachable areas. To pay for them, he must collect hearts, which are dropped by defeated enemies. In addition, the ordinary items in Simon's inventory, he can also purchase new whips and a few new locations of the game. He begins with a standard leather whip and can upgrade to stronger ones with each new purchase. Simon's quest introduces an experience rating system, also found in many role-playing games, and which increases by collecting hearts. And so the period of time in Simon's quest cycles between daytime and nightfall, which has a prominent effect on the game and Simon's encounters. During the day, the enemies outside of towns in the game are weaker. At nighttime, they gain strength and inflict more damage to Simon's life points, though when defeated, they drop more hearts. So despite the departure from the previous games, there are elements from it that have remained, such as the magic weapons, which include the secondary weapons to Simon's whip. Each of them have different uses, and so, like most games in the series, some of these require the usage of hearts. So it builds as the game progresses. So the object is, of course, to travel to the five mansions to find the body parts of Dracula's corpse and an item count known as the Magic Cross. The body count parts can be utilized to support Simon in the game. For example, Dracula's rib can be used as a shield to block any projectile attacks fired from an enemy. Finding all of the required items will allow Simon to clear the blockade in front of Dracula's castle to fight the last boss. After the de player defeats Dracula, there are three possible endings. And so, with this game, uh, the soundtrack that was created for the game was actually used in an arcade version called Haunted Castle. And apparently, the actual soundtrack was given a lot of praise for it being the longest soundtrack out of these classic games from the Nintendo Entertainment System. So now, I'd like to play the Castlevania 2 theme.
Next, let's look at Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong was an arcade game released in Nintendo, or by Nintendo, in 1981. An early example of the platform game genre, the uh, gameplay focuses on maneuvering the main character across a series of platforms while dodging and ju jumping over obstacles. In the game, Mario, originally named Mr. Video, and then Jumpman, must rescue a damsel in distress named Pauline, originally named Lady, from a giant ape named, of course, Donkey Kong. The hero and ape later become two of Nintendo's most popular and recognizable characters. Donkey Kong is one of the most important titles from the golden age of video game archives, and is one of the most popular arcade games of the time. The game was, was the latest in the series of efforts by Nintendo to break into the North American market. The president of Nintendo had assigned the project to a first-time video game designer named Shigeru Miyamoto, drawing from a wide range of inspirations including Popeye, Beauty and the Beast, and King Kong, Miyamoto developed the scenario and designed the game alongside Nintendo's chief engineer. Regardless of initial doubts, Donkey Kong succeeded commercially and critically in North America and Japan. Nintendo licensed the game to Coleco, who developed home console versions for numerous platforms. And so, there was a lawsuit that was brought up by the Universal City Studios alleging Donkey Kong violated their trademark of King Kong, and it ultimately failed, because the success of Donkey Kong and Nintendo's victory in the courtroom helped to position the company for video game market dominance from its release in 1981. So Donkey Kong, it's considered to be the earliest video game with a storyline that visually unfolds on the screen. It shows Donkey Kong as being the de facto villain. The hero is a carpenter, originally named Jumpman, and later renamed Mario. The ape kidnaps Mario's girlfriend, and the player must take the role of Mario to rescue her. On the final screen of each level, Mario and Pauline are united, or reunited. The game uses graphics and animation as vehicles of characterization. Donkey Kong smirks upon Mario's demise. Pauline has a pink dress and long hair, and a speech balloon crying help appear appearing frequently beside her. Mario, in red coveralls and a red cap, is an everyman character, a type common in Japan. And so, originally, they had a very hard time trying to come up with the dynamics for the character because certain limitations for graphics were hard to get a mouth to move, so they gave him a mustache. They couldn't animate hair, so they got him a cap. And so he became a plumber. Uh, Donkey Kong is the first example of complete narrative uh, told in video game form. Uh, one of the things that is really interesting, though, is that with the character of Pauline in the game, uh, they constantly had problems 
with uh, the marketing and even had uh, censorship wanting to ban certain things uh, regarding the Pauline character because of the way she was portrayed uh, on the video game console arcade systems. So they had her in very loose clothing and a slit on her skirt and just looking disheveled and everything. So it's a really interesting dynamic with that whole uh, background on that. So now I'd like to play the theme from the Andrew Allen Trio from Donkey Kong.
The next area of video game titles is Final Fantasy. Of course, Final Fantasy has taken the roles throughout the years, um, starting with the very first from the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now we're at Final Fantasy XV. It's amazing how far this one series has actually come. Final Fantasy takes place in a fantasy world with three large continents. The elemental powers of this world are determined by the state of four orbs, each governing one of the four classical elements, earth, fire, water, and wind. The world of Final Fantasy is inhabited by numerous races, including humans, elves, dwarves, mermaids, dragons, and robots. Most non-human races have only one town in the game, although individuals are sometimes found in human towns or other areas. 400 years prior to the start of the game, the Lafinish people, who used the power of wind to craft airships and a giant space station called the Floating Castle, watched their country decline as the wind orb went dark. 200 years later, violent storms sank a massive shrine that served as the center of an ocean-based civilization, and water, the water orb went dark. The earth orb and the fire orb followed, plaguing the earth with raging wildfires and devastating the agricultural town of Melmond as the plains and vegetation decayed. Sometime later, the sage Lucan tells of a prophecy that four light warriors will come to save the world in a time of darkness. Final Fantasy has four basic game modes, an overworld map, town and dungeon maps, a battle screen, and a menu screen. The overworld map is a scaled-down version of the game's fictional world, where the player uses to direct characters to various locations. The primary means of travel across the overworld is by foot, but a canoe or ship and other means of travel are sometimes acquired. The game's plot develops as the player progresses through the towns and dungeons. Some town citizens offer helpful information, while others own shops and sell items or equipment. The dungeons appear in areas that include forests, caves, mountains, swamps, underwater caverns, and even buildings. The game's menu screen allows the player to keep track of their experience points and levels to choose which equipment their characters wield. Now I have to say that the combat combination of combat and fighting style and even the role-playing element of the original Final Fantasy game is much to be desired. Uh, some may feel very warm and fuzzy when thinking about the actual original game, but when you look back on it, when you look at areas of YouTube and see video from this original game, it's hard to uh, really appreciate it for what it actually was. But in all reality, there was a lot of complex programming involved with the actual game. There's different character classes, there's fighters, thieves, black belts, red mages, white mages, black mages, the player even has an option to gain abilities using weapons and magic that they previously could not use. So there's a wide range of different weapons and armor that one can buy 
and then arm themselves and change pretty much their character to become better. Uh, magic is a common ability in the game and several characters uh, use it. So these are just some of the things about the facts regarding Final Fantasy that were popular at the time. And so now I'd like to play the Final Fantasy theme. The next game I'd like to cover is Galaga. Galaga is a shoot-em-up arcade game 
Uh, it even had a sequel. Well, it's actually a sequel to 1979's Galaxian. The gameplay puts the player in control of a spacecraft, which is situated at the bottom of the screen. When enemy aliens arriving in formation at the beginning of the stage, either trying to destroy, collide, or capture the spaceship, with the player progressively, every time, shooting at the alien forces, and then they're vanquished. It was one of the most commercially and critically successful games from that golden age of arcade games. The arcade version has been ported to many consoles, and it's spawned many sequels. In 2011, the game celebrated its 30th anniversary with the release of Galaga 30th Collection for iOS. The objective of Galaga is to score as many points as possible by destroying insect-like enemies. The player controls a starfighter that can move left and right along the bottom of the playfield. Enemies swarm in groups in a formation near the top of the screen and then begin flying down toward the character, firing bullets at and attempting to crash into them. In later stages, some enemies even break from entering the group in a frantic attempt to crash into the player. Galaga introduces new features from its pre predecessor, and among these are the ability to fire two shots in succession rather than one or a hit-miss ratio. And so there's even a challenging uh, stage, like a challenge stage, to where every few stages a series of enemies fly onto and off the screen to set patterns without firing at the player's ship or trying to crash into it. These stages award a 10,000 point bonus if the player manages to destroy every enemy, but otherwise 100 bonus points for every enemy destroyed. So another gameplay feature is the ability for enemies to capture the player's fighter. While the player is in control of just one fighter, a boss Galaga, which takes two hits to kill, will periodically attempt to capture the fighter using a tractor beam. If successful, the fighter joins the enemy formation as a satellite to the boss Galaga which captured it. The captive fighter becomes an enemy, turns red, and likewise can be shot and destroyed. The player still can fire while being captured up to the point their ship touches the captor, which could be considered an opportunity to shoot the captor down before it can manage to successfully capture them. Galaga has an exploitable bug that can cause attackers to stop firing shots at the player. In addition, similar to the famous split-screen bug in Pac-Man, the bug exists in Galaga, in which the game rolls over from stage 255 to stage 0. Depending on the difficulty setting of the machine, this can cause the game to stall, requiring that the machine be reset or power cycled in order to start a new game. Well, that's all I've got on this game. Let's play the theme.
The next game I'd like to talk about is Legend of Zelda. This is a beloved high, high fantasy action adventure game that has taken many roles throughout the years of Nintendo. It spawned several sequels. It spawned a uh, TV series, cartoon TV series. Um, it centers on Link, the playable character and chief protagonist. Link is often given the task of rescuing Princess Zelda and the Kingdom of Hyrule from Ganon, who is the principal antagonist of the series. However, other settings and antagonists have appeared in several different of the titles. The common relic in the game is tri the Triforce, a set of three omnipotent golden triangles. And so, since the original Legend of Zelda was released in 1986, it spawned 18 different games from Nintendo, and even the American animated TV series that was based on the games. It even included individual manga adaptions commissioned by Nintendo and have been produced in Japan since 1997. The Legend of Zelda takes place predominantly in a medieval Western Europe-inspired fantasy land called Hyrule, which has developed a deep history and wide geography over the series' many releases. Much of the backstory of the creation of Hyrule was revealed in the game A Link to the Past, Arakana of Time, The Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, and A Link Between Worlds. Hyrule's principal inhabitants are pointy-eared humanoids called Highlands, which include the player's character Link and the eponymous Princess Zelda. According to the in-game histories, the world of Hyrule was created by the three golden goddesses, Din, Faror, and Nehru. Before departing, the goddesses left a sacred artifact called the Triforce, which could grant the, the wishes of the user. It consisted of three golden triangles that each embodies one of the goddess's virtues, power, courage, and wisdom. However, because the Triforce has no will of its own, because it was an item, it could not judge between good and evil, and so it would grant any wish indiscriminately. So this created some bad effects for the characters in the game. So there's been so many ways of looking at the different plots for the Zelda games and it's taken many years for the whole mythology of Legend of Zelda to be created and so it really sets the stage for each adventure and some games take place in different lands with their own backstories and others take place in Hyrule. So the so what we can really appreciate now is the theme to Legend of Zelda uh, by the Andrew Allen Trio.
My next game I'd like to talk about is Metroid. Uh, it's an action-adventure game, uh, and there's been, again, several uh, sequels that have been spawned. It came out in August 1986, and it's set on the planet Zebes. And the story follows Samus Aran as she attempts to retrieve the parasitic Metroid organisms that were stolen by space pirates, who plan to replicate the Metroids by exposing them to beta rays, and then use them as biological weapons to destroy Samos and all who oppose them. The game's style, focusing on exploration and the search for power-ups that are used to reach previously inaccessible areas, influence other video games as well. Its varied endings for fast completion times made it a popular game for speedrunning. Metroid was lauded for being one of the first video games to feature a female protagonist, though the player must complete the game in under five hours for this to be re revealed. And so even the English language instruction manual even uses he to refer to the protagonist, just to keep it a uh, secret. Metroid, um, it's the action game, uh, the gameplay shows that uh, Samos, she travels through the planet's caverns and hunts space pirates. She begins with a weak power beam as her only weapon and only abilities in, to enhance her armor and weaponry. And this allows her to enter different areas that were previously inaccessible. Among the power-ups that are included are the Morph Ball, which allows Samus to curl into a ball to roll into tunnels, the Bomb, which can be used uh, in ball form and can open hidden wall doors, and the Screw Attack as a somersault move to destroy enemies. So there's many other iterations for this game, but mostly I'd like to show you the theme from Metroid.
The next game I'd like to share is Mega Man 2. Uh, it came out in 1988, and it shares with Mega Man uh, the hero against the evil Dr. Wily and his rogue robots. It's interesting with this series that when you look at the title screen and you select which villain you're going up against, you have to make sure that you're going up against the correct villain Otherwise, you may not have the correct weapon for the next villain. With more than 1.5 million copies sold, the game is the best-selling Mega Man title. Critics praised it, its audio, visuals, and gameplay as an improvement over the first game. Many publications rank Mega Man 2 as the best title of the series, and as one of the greatest video games of all time. The game has been re-released on several consoles and mobile phones. It takes place after the original Mega Man, and it shows that it's during the 21st century. The year 2004 is seen in the opening shot on the PlayStation 2 15th Anniversary Collection. Dr. Wily is the main antagonist. He builds a new fortress, an army of robotic henchmen, led by eight new robot masters of his design. Metal Man, Air Man, Bubble Man, Quick Man, Crash Man, Flash Man, Heat Man, and Wood Man. Mega Man was sent by his creator, Dr. Light, to defeat Dr. Riley and his robot masters. Since it's a, a higher uh, version of what the original game was, it's harder. It's a harder game. Um, even though it's praised as one of the better Mega Man games, uh, it still is very difficult. After defeating a boss, uh, their weapon becomes available to the player, so you can switch between different weapons to be able to defeat 
the different enemies that Mega Man encounters. The features of the gameplay it doesn't change too much between the original and the new one. The new items that you get are energy tanks, which allow the player to refill Mega Man's health at any time, which is very awesome. Uh, also introduced is a password system. After defeating each robot master, a password is displayed, allowing the player to return to that particular point in the game after restarting the system. Password stores the particular list of completed robot masters, as well as the number of accumulated energy tanks. Unlike the first game, Mega Man 2 does not feature a score counter, and the player is unable to return to the robot master levels once completed. Now we will hear the theme to Mega Man 2.
game I'd like to talk about is Pac-Man. Pac-Man is an arcade game uh, released or developed by Namco and released in Japan. And it was considered one of the classics of the medium. Uh, Pac-Man derivatives became a social phenomenon and yielded a high sales of merchandise and inspired a legacy in other media, such as the Pac-Man animated television series and the top 10 hits, uh, Pac-Man Fever. So Pac-Man was popular in the 80s and 90s and is still played in 2000, the 2010s. While Pac-Man was released, the most popular arcade video game were space shooters, particularly Space Invaders and Asteroids. But Pac-Man succeeded by creating a new genre. It's often credited with being a landmark in video game history and is among the most famous of its time. And it's generated more than $2. billion in quarters by the 1990s. The character has appeared in more than 30 officially licensed game spin-offs, as well as numerous unauthorized clones and bootlegs. So Pac-Man had the highest brand awareness of any video game character among American consumers, and it was recognized by 94% of them. Pac-Man is also one of the longest-running video game franchises from that time period. So. Pac-Man's first adventure chronologically took place in Pac-Man, where he had to fight off a group of ghosts consisting of Blinky, Inky, Pinky, and Clyde while trying to escape an immense maze. As was mentioned before, the game was inspired by a pizza with a quarter of it taken out. And so throughout the years, there's been numerous clones of Pac-Man that have resulted but the Pac-Man phenomenon uh, became an explosion after he arrived in 1980. So now, let's hear the theme to Pac-Man.
The final game I'd like to talk about is Super Mario Brothers. Now, Super Mario Brothers had started in 1985. It was a successor to the 1983 game Just Plain Mario Brothers. It was the first in the series of games, and the player controls Mario in a two-player game. The second player controls Luigi, and they travel through the Mushroom Kingdom in order to rescue the Princess Toadstool from the antagonist Bowser. In its first game, uh, Super Mario has become a pioneering game, and it's highly influential as one of one of the more popular games of the time. And it became so popular that it keeps having a different sequel or different type of game improved upon it. And the main character being a plumber has just exploded into a worldwide phenomenon, even with the Nintendo Wii and even the Nintendo DS, and then now upcoming with the Nintendo Switch. So Mario's success led to the, de the development of many successors, and it resulted in Super Mario 2, Super Mario 3, uh, even a Mario RPG game for the Super Nintendo. So also, there was a 1986 anime film, uh, the Super Mario Brothers, The Great Michigan Mission to Rescue Princess Peach. The animated series, The Super Mario Brothers Super Show, the live action film back in 1993 with Bob Hoskins and John Legazamo. <laughs> I can't talk about uh, as Mario and Luigi. And at one point, the United States Supreme Court uh, case Brown versus Entertainment Merchants Association, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, submitted a voluntarily or voluntary brief citing social research that declared Super Mario Brothers to be a violent video game. It was compared to Mighty Mouse and Roadrunner, cartoons that depict a similar form of violence with little negative reaction to the public. Of course, it didn't last because they continue to make many of its games. So it's been a really interesting episode this time. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Uh, this has been a review episode of a very specific album, and I had the pleasure of being able to get a free copy of it. Um, I hope that Andrew Allen enjoys this review of his amazing album. I have enjoyed all his other albums that he has made. For all of you listening to this particular episode of Soundtrack Alley, I suggest that you check out Coverville, the podcast with Brian Ibbett, uh, the Morning Stream with Scott Johnson and Brian Ibbett, and also Film Sack of the Frog Pants Network because they talk about older movies that are found on Netflix, and it's uh, four, four guys just talking about movies. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they are responsible for the further extension of Andrew Allen's work, and he's really an amazing composer of jazz music for nerd culture. For this final piece, it generates an enjoyment of jazz in many other ways. 
So now, in conclusion, I'd like to play the Super Mario theme, and I hope to look forward to my further shows coming up. I have a full lineup of podcasts coming up in March. Enjoy, and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.